Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, episode 138, the First Continental Congress. On September 5th, 1774, 56 delegates from 12 colonies, all except Georgia, met in Philadelphia for the First Continental Congress. This was a sequel to the Stamp Act Congress of 1765, but was a significant upgrade. Its members were some of the best and brightest from the American colonies. Not all necessarily radicals, but all experienced in colonial politics. The Massachusetts delegation included Sam and John Adams, whom we've both already met. New York's included John Jay, the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Virginia's included George Washington and Patrick Henry, both of whom we've already met, as well as Benjamin Harrison, whose son, William Henry Harrison, and great-grandson, Benjamin Harrison, would be president, and Richard Henry Lee of the famous Lee family. Pennsylvania's delegation included John Dickinson, author of the Letters from a Farmer in Pennsylvania, which we've discussed already, and John Galloway, a close political ally of Benjamin Franklin and future loyalist. And South Carolina's delegation included John Rutledge, the second Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. It was an esteemed collection, and they knew it. This was a collection of leaders never before seen in the colonies, one which would soon form a core of the American governing class. No men there favoured complete submission to British will, but there was certainly a spread of opinions. John and Sam Adams were among the most radical, wanting to fight rather than concede. Others, like Dickinson and Rutledge, attempted to restrain them. The Adamses were able to create a declaration which meant that if Gage acted aggressively against Massachusetts, that would be taken as an act of hostility against all of America. But they could not convince Congress to prepare for armed conflict. The Congress worked well into October and made a declaration of rights. Now, because as you know, I love my primary sources, I'm going to quote it in full. If you don't want to listen to this, please feel free to skip to the 16 minute and 35 second mark. Quote, Whereas, since the close of the last war, the British Parliament, claiming a power of right to bind the people of America by statutes in all cases whatsoever, hath, in some acts, expressly imposed taxes on them, and in others, under various presences, but, in fact, for the purpose of raising a revenue, hath imposed rates and duties payable in these colonies, established a board of commissioners with unconstitutional powers, and extended the jurisdiction of courts of admiralty, not only for collecting the said duties, but for the trial of causes merely arising within the body of a county. And whereas, in consequence of other statutes, judges, who before held only estates at will in their offices, have been made dependent on the crown alone for their salaries, and standing armies kept in times of peace, and whereas it has lately been resolved in Parliament that by force of a statute 
made in the 35th year of the reign of King Henry VIII, colonists may be transported to England, and tried there upon accusations for treasons and misprisons, or concealments of treasons committed in the colonies, and by a late statute, such trials have been directed in cases therein mentioned. And whereas, in the last session of Parliament, three statutes were made, one entitled, An Act to Discontinue in Such Manner and for Such Time as Therein Mentioned, the Landing and Discharging, Lading or Shipping of Goods, Wares and Merchandise, at the town and within the harbour of Boston in the province of Massachusetts Bay in New England. Another entitled, An Act for the Better Regulating the Government of the Province of Massachusetts Bay in New England. And another, entitled, An Act for the Impartial Administration of Justice in the Cases of Persons Questioned for Any Act Done by Them in the Execution of the Law or for the Suspension of Rights and Tumults in the Province of Massachusetts Bay in New England. And another statute was then made, for making more effectual provision for the government of the province of Quebec, etc. All which statutes are impolitic, unjust and cruel, as well as unconstitutional, and most dangerous and destructive of American rights. And whereas assemblies have been frequently dissolved, contrary to the rights of the people, when they attempted to deliberate on grievances and their duty humble, loyal, and reasonable petitions to the Crown for address, have been repeatedly treated with contempt by His Majesty's Ministers of State. The good people of the several colonies of New Hampshire, Massachusetts Bay, Rhode Island, and Providence Plantations, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Newcastle, Kent, and Sussex on Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina, justly alarmed at these arbitrary proceedings of Parliament and administration, have severally elected, constituted, and appointed deputies to meet and sit in General Congress in the city of Philadelphia, in order to obtain such establishment as that their religion, laws, and liberties may not be subverted. Whereupon the deputies so appointed being now assembled, in a full and free representation of these colonies, taking into their most serious consideration the best means of attaining the ends aforesaid, do, in the first place, as Englishmen, their ancestors in like cases have usually done for asserting and vindicating their rights and liberties, declare that the inhabitants of the English colonies in North America, by the immutable laws of nature, the principles of the English Constitution, and the several charters or compacts, have the following rights. Resolved. 1. That they are entitled to life, liberty, and property, and they have never ceded to any foreign power, whatever, a right to dispose of either without their consent. Resolved. 2. That our ancestors, who first settled these colonies, were at the time of their emigration from the mother country, entitled to all the rights, liberties, and immunities of free and natural-born subjects within the realm of England. 
resolved. 3. That by such emigration, they by no means forfeited, surrendered or lost any of those rights, but that they were, and their descendants are now, entitled to the exercise and enjoyment of all such of them as their local and other circumstances enable them to exercise and enjoy. Resolved. 4. That the foundation of English liberty, and of all free government, is a right in the people to participate in their legislative council, and as the English colonists are not represented, and from their local and other circumstances cannot properly be represented in the British Parliament, they are entitled to a free and exclusive power of legislation in their several provincial legislatures, where their right of representation can alone be preserved, in all cases of taxation and internal policy, subject only to the negative of their sovereign, in such manner as has been heretofore used and accustomed. But, from the necessity of the case, and regard to the mutual interest of both countries, we cheerfully consent to the operation of such acts of the British Parliament as are bona fide, restrained to the regulation of our external commerce, for the purpose of securing the commercial advantages of the whole empire to the mother country, and the commercial benefits of its respective members, excluding every idea of taxation, internal or external, for raising a revenue on the subjects in America without their consent. Resolved. 5. That the respective colonies are entitled to the common law of England, and more especially to the great and inestimable privilege of being tried by their peers of the vicinage, according to the course of that law. Resolved. 6. That they are entitled to the benefit of such of the English statutes as existed at the time of their colonisation, and which they have, by experience, respectively found to be acceptable to their several local and other circumstances. Resolved. 7 that these, his majesty's colonies, are likewise entitled to all the immunities and privileges granted and confirmed to them by royal charters, or secured by their several codes of provincial laws. Resolved. 8. That they have a right peaceably to assemble, consider of their grievances and petition the king, and that all prosecutions prohibitory proclamations and commitments for the same are illegal. Resolved. 9. That the keeping of a standing army in these colonies, in times of peace, without the consent of the legislature of that colony, in which such army is kept, is against law. Resolved. 10. It is indispensably necessary to good government and rendered essential by the English Constitution, that the constituent branches of the legislature be independent of each other. That, therefore, the excise of legislative power in several colonies by a council appointed during pleasure by the Crown is unconstitutional, 
dangerous and destructive to the freedom of American legislation. All and each of which the aforesaid deputies, in behalf of themselves and their constituents, do claim, demand and insist on, as their indutable rights and liberties, which cannot be legally taken from them, altered or abridged by any power whatever, without their own consent, by their representatives in their several provincial legislatures. In the course of our inquiry, we find many infringements and violations of the foregoing rights, which, from an ardent desire that harmony and mutual intercourse of affection and interest may be restored, we pass over for the present, and proceed to state such acts and measures as have been adopted since the last war, which demonstrate a system formed to enslave America. Resolved, that the following acts of Parliament are infringements and violations of the rights of colonists, and that the repeal of them is essentially necessary in order to restore harmony between Great Britain and the American colonies. These, the several acts of George III, which impose duties for the purpose of raising a revenue in America, extend the power of the Admiralty Courts beyond their ancient limits, deprive the American subject of trial by jury, authorise the judges certificate to indemnify the prosecutor from damages that he might otherwise be liable to, requiring oppressive security from a claimant of ships and goods seized, before he shall be allowed to defend his property and are subversive of American rights. Also intituled, an act for the better securing His Majesty's dockyards, magazines, ships, ammunition and stores which declares a new offence in America and deprives the American subject of a constitutional trial by jury of the vicinage, by authorising the trial of any person charged with the committing any offence described in the said act out of the realm to be indicted and tried for the same in any shire or county within the realm. Also, the free acts passed in the last session of Parliament for stopping the port and blocking up the harbour of Boston, for altering the charter and government of Massachusetts Bay, and that which is entitled An Act for the Better Administration of Justice, etc. Also passed in the same session for establishing the Roman Catholic religion in the province of Quebec, abolishing the equitable system of English laws, and erecting a tyranny there to the great danger from so total a dissimilarity of religion, law and government of the neighbouring British colonies, by the assistance of whose blood and treasure the said country was conquered from France. Also, the Act passed in the same session for the better providing suitable quarters for officers and soldiers in His Majesty's service in North America. Also, that the keeping a standing army in several of these colonies in time of peace without the consent of the legislature of that colony in which such army is kept, is against law. To these grievous acts and measures, Americans cannot submit, but in hopes their fellow subjects in Great Britain will, on a revision of them, restore to us that state, in which both countries found happiness and prosperity, we have, for the present, only resolved to pursue the following peaceable measures. 1. 
to enter into a non-importation, non-consumption and non-exportation agreement or association. Two, to prepare an address to the people of Great Britain and a memorial to the inhabitants of British America. And three, to prepare a loyal address to His Majesty agreeable to resolutions already entered into. End quote. Some interesting things about the Declaration of Rights are that, one, it was sent to the King and the people of Great Britain, but it ignored Parliament. And two, while they were making economic threats, such as launching a non-importation agreement concerning slaves and British goods that would come into effect on December 1st, 1774, and would be administered by a continental administration, and if no action were taken by September the 10th, 1775, it would expand to cover non-exportation. This was not the voice of a body that wanted independence. James Madison would say, in 1800, The fundamental principle of the revolution was that the colonies were coordinate members with each other, and Great Britain, of an empire united by a sovereign sovereign and that the legislative power was maintained to be as complete in each American Parliament as in the British Parliament. That is why I think it's important to actually go through these documents. The Americans were, in 1774, still asking for equal treatment, not independence. It's easy to run away with the narrative, given what would happen over the following years, but we shouldn't. However, while even Sam Adams may not have wanted independence, they must have known that given its recent behaviour, Britain would be disinclined to acquiesce to the request. As a result, the request was firm, a firmness which would further annoy the British and make the ultimate break inevitable. Independence wasn't the preferred outcome, but their rights were non-negotiable, and they would fight for them, if necessary. There was a great deal of tension in North America over the close of 1774. American militiamen drilled with intensity. The Continental Association enforced the non-importation agreement from December 1st. While there had been other British boycotts, this came from a strong voice across so many colonies from such distinguished figures. It was, in effect, a declaration of economic war. The Patriots controlled most of the colonies, with the exceptions of the British Army controlling Boston and Georgia. Though few at the time would have predicted just what was about to happen, the world was about to be turned upside down. Thanks for listening. I will see you next time.